This morning, we'll be launching a new sermon series entitled Minority Report, and you'll need your Bibles open to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. In just a moment, I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. Before I do, I would like to invite us to a time of silence, a time of centering, just to be in God's presence. You may use this time to form your own prayer or to listen quietly to the Spirit as we prepare our hearts for the Word. Gather your children together, precious Lord, and wrap us in your arms of love. There's so much pain, so much need, so much struggle. We confess to you our sins, our many failures. We come to you with an honesty about our own brokenness, our own needs. We pray that today we might be surprised by your grace. We might be filled with your comforting disturbing Holy Spirit. Lord, your world is broken. We pray for those serving in the military. We pray for peace in places of war. Especially we pray for ways of peace in Syria. We pray, Father, for our own nation on this, the 50th anniversary of the bombing of the Baptist Church in Birmingham when four little girls died because of racial hatred. Bind that which is broken in our own country and heal that which is wrong in our own hearts when we begin to fear the other and to hate rather than understand. We pray that you will guide us as we open Scripture to the possibilities of understanding how you love everyone. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 17. And I invite you to stand as God's Word comes among us, if you're able, as I read aloud. One day, while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Stand up and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man 
has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately, he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. The word of the Lord may bless it. You may be seated. I'm sure everyone has seen tree houses with signs that read, Girls Keep Out or Boys Keep Out. I'm sure we've all seen signs on teenagers' bedroom doors that read, Adults Stay Out, Especially Parents. And do you remember those times when, as a child, an older sibling of yours would invite a friend over after school and you'd try to tag along and play, and your older brother or sister would turn to you and say, you're not old enough, go away. And while we're thinking about exclusion, when you're flying coach, do you ever just wonder what's going going on up there in first class when they pull that curtain shut? Do you ever just wonder what you're missing? Life is full of stories of exclusion. And Eugene Peterson says uh, in his introduction to the Gospel of Luke, most of us feel left out, misfits. And he goes on and says, the way we fix that is we find some group that will take us or we create our own group and then we're in and the others are out. We just repeat the cycle of winners, losers, in and out misfits and acceptables, but we just get to define it in our own way. And he's right, you know. We play those games, but it hurts so bad to be excluded, to be left out. This cartoon probably uh, says it best. Uh, In a world full of round holes, you don't really fit in around here, do you, Peggy? Uh, It's 8.15, I know, but peg, a square peg, Peggy... I don't write these jokes, folks. I just find them, okay? So in a world, you know, in a, in a Bible study class full of round holes, sometimes we feel like square pegs. In a, in a neighborhood full of round holes, we feel like square pegs. In a church, on a bus full of round holes, we feel like square pegs. And it's, it doesn't feel very good. All during the year 2013, we're spending our time in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at at the Gospel from as many different directions as we can. It's an amazing Gospel because Luke has a special place in his heart. He has special ways of seeing the misfits, the left outs, the people who got cut from the varsity squad of life. He has a special way of showing us the love that Jesus had for the people excluded, for the people who didn't make the team, for the people who who feel like the square pegs in a world full of round holes. In other words, Luke brings us a a minority report. In, In shining the light on Jesus, we see things we haven't seen before about what it's like to be excluded. He wants us to use our imaginations. What would it feel like to not have the use of your legs 
and have no physical way to get into the presence of Jesus to experience His grace. What would it feel like to be in a jail cell 24-7 and have your world defined by those parameters? What would it feel like to desperately need bus transportation in Jefferson City to get to urgent doctor's appointments and the bus routes have been cut? What would it feel like to be caught in cycles of sin and prisons of addiction and, and not feel like anybody cares? What would it feel like to be to the point in your life where you feel like God doesn't care about you anymore and God can't possibly forgive what you've done? What would it feel like to go to bed hungry and to wake up hungry? What would it feel like to have no job and no prospect of a job? What would it feel like to not be able to walk or to see? What would it feel like to have mental illness and to have the church keep telling you to just pray harder? See, Luke wants us to hear the minority report. He wants us to see the way Jesus sees people. Now, Luke chapter 5 is a fascinating story. Jesus is in a house. The crowds have come from everywhere. And in fact, the house is so full that, that people can't get in. Seated around Jesus are the religious people, the scholars, the experts, the churchy people. And this lame man who's being carried by four friends they can't get in. Now, Luke has a sense of humor. It's subtle. He doesn't get in our face, but he wants us to see this picture. People who need help from Jesus can't get to Jesus because church people are taking up all the space. Do you get it? They're consumed with their own questions, with their own curiosity, and they don't even see the needy people around. But this man who is paralyzed, who, who can't walk, has four friends who become very creative, and if they can't get in, they're going to go over. They, cl they climb up on the roof, they start removing the tile, and they lower the man down into the very presence of Jesus. How many of us here have four friends like that? Do you have four friends that would go to these lengths to help you with your disability, to bring you into the very presence of Jesus? What would it be like to have four friends like that? Now, what I love about the story is what the four friends did not ask of the man who was paralyzed. They did not ask him, now, before we carry you to Jesus, we want you to know, we want to know what you did wrong to deserve this. Because you know, in Jesus' day, it was typical uh, to say if anybody had a, a malformation, if anybody was ill, if anybody had a disease, if anybody had something go wrong uh, in his life or her life, that it was sin in their life. And so they didn't ask that question. They just picked up the pallet and they carried the man out of love. They creatively found a way. 
And I just want to testify to you this morning that it's very freeing if you can get to the place in your life that you give up being judge and jury. It's very freeing in your life if you can look at someone who's poor and stop trying to figure out if it was just poor money management on their part or bad choices. It's very freeing when you can look at somebody who's, who's uh, caught up in, in a lifestyle that is destructive to just stop judging and to, to just stop trying to figure out what they did wrong. It's just so freeing to stop being judge and jury and to just love and help and let God sort all that other stuff out. I remember a conversation I had in the home of a lady, another church in another community, a very prominent family, very strong Christian family, but their adult son had been arrested for public drunkenness. He had left his wife and children. His life was a train wreck. She sat in the living room of her home, crying, sobbing, talking to me, and she said, I can tell you this much, Pastor. This has knocked some self-righteousness out of me. I've stopped judging people who have divorce and addiction and heartache in their family. It's not as easy as it looks. These four friends didn't judge, they just helped. But, but the man had a fifth friend, and that's Jesus. Jesus risked a lot too, because he, he, it eventually cost him his life that he would announce to this man, your sins are forgiven, a job reserved for only God, therefore they considered him blaspheming, taking the place of God. He healed the man, he always ministered at great risk, without regard to his own safety. The man had a fifth friend because Jesus loved him. Jesus did not see him as a misfit, as someone undeserving. He just loved him, and he met his needs, all of his needs. Let's talk about church architecture. Do you know the history of the narthex in churches? Vestibule, lobby, whatever you call it. Churches, years ago, started building porches right at the edge of their worship space so that those who were excluded could stand there and eavesdrop and listen in on the good news of Jesus Christ. They were excluded from entering the sanctuary, the space, but they could stand there and listen in and overhear. So that the narthex was originally not a place for coffee hour, or for handing out bulletins, it was a space between exclusion and inclusion. Where people could find a way to hear about God's love. Our church has a mission statement. To honor and worship God by being an inclusive and diverse family of faith sharing the love of Jesus Christ and empowering disciples. Say that aloud with me, please. To honor and worship God by being an inclusive and diverse family of faith, sharing the love of Jesus Christ and empowering disciples. And I've, I've underlined the part that is particularly 
applicable this morning, an inclusive and diverse family of faith. I have to ask myself, are my words making it easier or more difficult for people to experience Jesus? I have to ask myself, is my lifestyle making it easier or more difficult for people to experience Jesus? We have to ask ourselves, are the things we're doing as a congregation making it easier or more difficult for people to experience that inclusion in the midst of diversity? I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of follower of Jesus like these four men. I want to be able to think creatively. I want to be able to see people in need and to be able to imagine them whole and included. I want to be able to think creatively about removing tile and and climbing up on roofs and thinking outside the box and and doing risky sorts of things that that might be controversial but that would bring people into a full relationship with Jesus Christ to to allow them to feel included. See, it's always messy when you do ministry. When you remove tile, dust falls. There was always the chance they would have been rebuked and, and rebuffed. It's always risky. It's always controversial to care for the excluded. But that's precisely what Jesus has called us to. I don't know about you, but I really like the new Pope, Pope Francis. Now, I'm sure the Vatican has been waiting on my announcement. (laughs) And somebody's probably tweeting right now, Doyle approves. You can go on with your program. But I'm serious. Pope Francis is a breath of fresh air. He has said, oh, and by the way, The little churches that I started preaching in in North Missouri, when I started preaching back in the 60s, if a pastor had said, I like the new pope, it would have been the shortest ministry he'd ever had (laughs) and that you'd ever seen. The new pope has said that he wants the church to be at the edge, not at the center where it's safe. He doesn't, he doesn't want the church in the middle where it's safe. He wants them out on the edge. And look at this quote. He said, I prefer a church that makes a thousand mistakes in the streets to one turned in on itself, playing, playing it safe. I prefer a church making a thousand mistakes to one that's turned in on itself. And in preparing for this series on Minority Report, it, it struck me that one of, the, one of the things that I love about Jesus that I'd never been able to articulate before is that he, he saw the world differently. Jesus did not have churchy eyes. He didn't have churchy eyes. He developed friendships with all kinds of people. He connected with unchurchy people, with the down and out, with the low, with the, with the, with the, the despised And here's why. Jesus did not see outsiders through the eyes of the church. He saw the church through the eyes of outsiders. Jesus did not see the outsiders through the eyes of the church. He saw the church 
how the church looked to outsiders, and he didn't like what he saw. We're all scarred and marred. We're all broken. We're all a mess. We're all sinners. We're all crippled. We're all handicapped. We're all disabled. I'm disabled. I have to wear glasses. Without these things, that's just a bunch of gray in front of me. And you're actually, you're a little better with glasses on. (laughs) We're all disabled in some way. I've been told I'm follically challenged. We all have something wrong with us. And, and, you know, one of the things that I don't like about the word disabled is that it implies that somebody is abled. Nobody's abled. We're all disabled. We're all globs of failure and discouragement and broken dreams and, and lives that are struggling. You don't have to be perfect to come here to worship and and small groups. You don't have to be perfect to be in God's love. God loves us the way we are. So if you have blemishes, welcome. If you have brokenness, welcome. If you're a failure, welcome. If your life is messed up, if your body is not what others think it should be, if your your mental health is not what society says it should be, if you are hurting and broken, then congratulations, you qualify. You qualify. In the name of Jesus, welcome. You're in the right place. Let's pray.